Cheryl. All right. Well, for you listening around the world in the 28 countries that tune into us or have tuned into us, welcome to Christmas morning service here at Pottstown Bible Church. We're glad you're joining us online. Um, I can't wait to hear what I have to say. It's scary. So let me dig right in and um, try to walk us through this um, beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So church, the question I want to start out with is this. Have we in the Christian community, have we become so familiar with this term gospel that we often fail to realize just how deep and important it is? You know, we, we may know what that word means. We may even say the word often, but I want you to think about it this morning. The, the Greek word is eugalion that I'm sure you've heard us use many times here. The word means good news. But the question I want to ask you this morning is, um, how has that good news impacted your life? How does it impact your everyday walk and talk? Ask yourself the honest question, what's good news to you? People will shout all the time with joy when their favorite sports team makes a touchdown or tries to win a game. You know, we can shout with joy when we receive great news or some money comes to us or perhaps a a newer car. And, you know, we can say, oh, that's good news. But here's the honest question. Has the EU Galeon, has this gospel come to you as good news? Think through that question this morning. Think soberly about it. Is the gospel of God concerning His only Son, Jesus Christ, truthfully, is that the greatest news that you've ever heard? If not, perhaps, you know, we may want to be honest today and say that we do not have an adequate sense of our own indwelling sin. Think about it. This Redeemer was born to pay the unbearable penalty for our sin. Think about that this morning. Maybe we don't have a sense of our own sinfulness. Is this the reason that we do not rejoice in the Lord always? You know, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it ought to be impossible for us to use the word gospel without bursting forth in a hymn or praise of thanksgiving. So church, this gospel is what God has done about sinful man, about salvation. This morning... We're going to take a look at the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, most people respond to the birth of Christ with indifference. And they end up missing the whole point of the gospel. So I like what Luke does here. And you, you have slide one? I'm good. Luke takes you and I all the way back to the beginning of the life of Christ here when he was alive on earth. And Luke gives more detail than any other gospel of the birth of Christ, as well as John the Baptist. See, Luke writes his gospel so that we, as well as his readers, would know the truth, and we would have a well-grounded faith in Christ. You know, in in, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's us. You know, all of us prior to salvation 
Ephesians 2.1, I don't have it up there, but all of us prior to salvation, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, deserving only hell. But Christ came into the world to save us from our sin and give us this gift of eternal life with him. Slide 2. In John's Gospel, we also have what Jesus says in John 6.51. The ego of me, the I am, the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Slide 3. So let's dig into the scriptures now. Let's go back in time and look at this announcement. We're going to get Luke 1, 26 through 31. Slide 3 and 4. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. All of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. <coughs> Verse 28. And coming, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Slide 4. But she was very perplexed at this statement. She kept pondering what kind of greeting or salutation this was. The angel responds or says to her, You know, Mary, don't be afraid. You found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. You're going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus. I want you to notice some important facts here. First thing we need to know, Mary was a virgin. She was sexually pure. She had not had any relationship with her fiancé Joseph or any other man because she was betrothed or engaged to Joseph. Second thing we learn from verse 19 Joseph was a righteous man. I want you to look at some corollary scripture. Slide 5. This is Matthew's account, verse, chapter 1 of verse 18 and 19 of Matthew. Matthew writes, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by who? The Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So this clearly reveals to all of us that Joseph did not want any part of a corrupt marriage. He knew his wife wasn't pregnant because of him. It's also interesting to note that God allowed Joseph to struggle with this for a while before he let Joseph know what his plan was. You know, church, God often works that way. He lets you and I make plans, but then he often reveals a better way for us. So when this happens... We need to surrender our plans, just like Joseph did, to the Lord. We too must test our plans and purposes against God's will, as he reveals it to you and I in the scriptures. God wanted Joseph to go ahead and marry Mary, so he sent an angelic messenger. Look at slide 6, Matthew one twenty. When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, now don't miss this, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Look at this church. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The Lord wanted to assure Joseph that his wife was pure for her wedding day. Third fact. Joseph was a descendant of the house of David. Slide 7. Luke 2, 4. 
back in Luke here. Joseph also went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he, Joseph, was of the house and family of David. So then when God chose a mother for his son, he chose a virgin. God, listen church, God wanted it to be crystal clear that the conception of his son in the womb of Mary was not due to any earthly man. So Mary, who was a virgin, conceived a child whose father was God and no man. And then, of course, back in Luke one twenty-eight, we see Gabriel greeting Mary. Now this is where we're going to have to dig in a little bit because I want to make sure that you don't miss this. He says, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. So what does this mean? What are you and I this morning to understand about this English word, favor? In fact, it's the same exact Greek word used in Ephesians 1.6 when Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, said, to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed, same Greek word, on us and his beloved. So this word favor and this word bestowed, as it is used here in the original language in the Greek text, is a Greek word, karatu. What does that word mean? The real question is, okay, what did the gospel writers in Matthew and Luke and Paul mean when they used that word, karatu? So the word actually means highly honored or God's grace. The Greek word charis means grace. So it is a root word of the word charis. So seeing how this word was used in the biblical text, what we conclude then, Mary was a recipient of God's grace. Mary was a redeemed sinner, just like you and I. She was not born sinless, nor are you and I. Nowhere in the entire 66 canonical books of the Bible do you find Mary or any other saint called some type of co-redeemer to the human race? Not somebody we pray to. There's only one mediator between God and man, and man Christ Jesus. I'm only preaching what the text says, church. So the scriptures are clear that sinners are made right with the Father only one way. Look at slide 10, Romans 3.24. Being justified... Being made right as a gift. How? By His grace. How? Through the redemption, which is in who? Is there any other name next to that verse? One name, Christ, right? It's very important that we do not miss that fact. This means that we are declared right positionally by the Father. It's a legal term. This does not mean that we're made righteous, but rather it means we are declared righteous. Slide 11. So, this being declared right is an act of God's free grace upon sinners in which God pardons our sin and accepts us as right in His sight. It's not a result of something we could ever do on our own. So nowhere in the scriptures does it say Mary or any other saint hear and answer prayers or intercedes on our behalf, church. Scriptures are clear. What did I say? 1 Timothy 2.5, slide 12. There is only one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
So then, what can we conclude about the word karatu? The favor or grace, church, hear me now, is something that Mary received. It is not something that she dispenses out to others. That's what the Bible teaches us. And the Bible is the final authority in all matters of life, faith, and practice. This clearly speaks of the grace, the charis, the grace that has been given to all believers, apart from any of us meriting it on our own. Then I had to ask myself, well, is there any other places in Scripture to support this understanding of the word charitou? I'm glad you asked. So we're going to look at slides 13 through 15. One, Noah found karatu with Yahweh, or grace with the Lord, Genesis 6-8. Joseph experienced the karatu, the favor, because the Lord was with him. They experienced it. They received it. The children of Israel found favor with the Egyptians because the Lord gave it to them, Exodus 11-3. Moses found favor in the sight of God, Exodus 33-17, slide 14. Ruth found favor with Boaz because of God's goodness, Ruth 2, 2, at verse 10 and 13. And Samuel, he found favor, or karatu, with Yahweh and with people, and that's 1 Samuel 2, 26. Esther found favor and kindness with her king, in Esther 2, 17. All these places are where that word is used. All of them were recipients. They weren't dispensing it, they were recipients of it. Daniel found favor and compassion from the officials in Daniel 1.9, slide 15. The early church found favor with the people and had the blessing of the Lord on them in Acts 2.47. And David found favor with the Lord in Acts 7.46. What's important about this? We want Scripture to validate Scripture. Okay, The Bible is a self-authenticating book. It doesn't need us to authenticate. But if you look at every one of those verses I gave you throughout Scripture, every one of those people and, that, and those uh, individuals were recipients, not people who dispense favor. So it's always important that we compare Scripture with Scripture. This is why Mary can then say all the way down later on in verse 46 and 7, My suke, my soul, exalts Yahweh. Slide 16. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary knew she was a sinner. Right there in the text, she calls her God her Savior. It's right there in the text. So Mary was given the grace and the special honor of carrying the unique monogenes, the Son of God. Something else the angel says. He says, Mary, do not be afraid. You have received, received favor from God. So let this assurance of this wonderful grace let that take away your fear, Mary. Mary does not need to be afraid because she is poor or unworthy. Here we see Isaiah 7.14 fulfilled. Slide 17. Therefore, the Lord himself, he's going to give you a sign. Behold, a virgin, she will be with child. She will bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Notice what happens next. Slide 18. Luke 1, 29 and 30. Mary was very perplexed at this statement. She kept pondering what kind of salutation or greeting this was. The angel responds and says, Don't be afraid, Mary. 
you have, what does it say? Found favor with God. Text says she's perplexed. So the idea in the text seems to imply that Mary was completely astonished at this unexpected visit. Now imagine, church, how sudden and extraordinary this was for her. She's filled with these anxious thoughts, as the text says. She's pondering or thinking about this greeting she's receiving from an angel, from an angel church. Then the angel delivers his message. Slide 19, Luke 31 and 2. Mary, you will conceive in your womb. You're going to bear a son. You're going to call him Jesus. Mary, listen. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. You ever hear? You know, we, we have our names, I'm John Applebach, you know, your first last name. Jesus is not Jesus' first name and Christ's last name. Okay, we don't go, hey, good morning, Mr. Christ. <laughs> not, not that way. The word Jesus or Jesus means literally the Lord saves. So the angel is now unpacking God the Father's agenda here. You see, Jesus, church, he wasn't coming into the world to save his people from their physical enemies. He came to save them from their sin, because we're our own worst enemy. The birth of Christ begins this unfolding of God's salvation as prophesied in Scripture. Slide 20, Matthew 1, and verse 23. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. She shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Referring, as we just learned from Isaiah 7.14, the birth of Jesus shows that God is with us. Here's the question this morning. Do you and I live out each day believing that God is truly with us? Or do we put them on trial when things don't go our way? That's getting quiet again, Dr. Carter. So this should bring comfort to you and comfort to me. It's interesting to note here that in the Old Testament, we see the Lord promising that he will be present with his people. So back in the Old Testament times, the tabernacle as well as the temple actually symbolized that fact. The term for tabernacle... In the Hebrew is the word mishkan, which comes from the root shikan, which means to dwell or abide. In the New Testament, we have the word oikion, to dwell. So mishkan, which is the Hebrew word for tabernacle, comes from the root word shikan, which means to dwell or abide. It's from this root word that we refer to the shekinah glory, which is referring to the presence of the living God. I like how John MacArthur spells it out, slide 21. The child born was to be the Shekinah, the true tabernacle of God. So in verse 32, we see Gabriel revealing something about Jesus. He says, he will be great. Mary, listen up, Mary. This Jesus who you're carrying in your womb, he's going to be a great man. This, this young girl was probably no older than 14, maybe 15 years of age. She was poor, hardly known at all. And she's going to carry the Son of the living God. 
The next thing we see Gabriel say to Mary is this, in slide 22, will be called the Son of the Most High. Now that Son of the Most High is another term used for God. What does that mean? Jesus is equal with the Father. His sovereignty will not be a passing earthly sovereignty, but Jesus' sovereignty will be a spiritual and everlasting sovereignty. Church, listen, this is important. This Jesus is going to reign for all eternity. Consider some Old Testament passages about this. Uh, slide 23 and 24. I love Isaiah 9, 6. A child's going to be born. That's his humanity. But a son will be given to us. That's his deity. Isn't that powerful? A child's going to be born to us. That's Jesus and his humanity. But a son is going to be given to us. The government is going to rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Slide 24. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David, over his kingdom. Why? To establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. So I want you to notice something about Jesus. Well, you notice that this child is different from any other child. Unlike you and I who were born due to earthly parents, Christ has existed eternally with the Father from all eternity. That's very important. He's the Alpha and Omega, the Aleph and the Tau. He is the eternal Son of God. Well, where do we get that? Slide 25. And Dr. Carter and I have told on this. In the beginning was the Lagos, the Word. The Lagos, the Word, was with God. And the Word was God, the Prostan Theon. He was in the beginning with God. Now, those words, ain't arcane, tulos hoglos, has the idea that Christ has always existed with the Father. There's never been a time where Jesus did not exist. Okay? If you look up the Greek words there, if you get time, in the beginning, the Word had already always existed from all eternity past and will exist for, forever and ever. So this eternal Word, this Logos, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, became something that he never was before. The Greek word there is genome, means to cause to be. It's in the aorist tense. The idea here is that in a point, at a point in time in history, the Son of God became something he never was before, flesh, fully human and fully God. Jesus never stopped being God. He's always been God and always will be God. This dwelt means he, oikion, he pitched his tent of flesh among us. Jesus had been appointed heir of all things, and it is through God the Father that he created the world. That's Hebrews 1, 1, 3. So what does Jesus do? He reflects the glory of his Father. He bears his very nature. He upholds all this universe by the word of his power. And in slide 26, God will give him, the Father will give Christ the throne of his father David. So what does that mean? Jesus will fulfill all the prophecies that a son of David will rule over Israel. Slide 27, Isaiah 16, 5. A throne will be established in loving kindness 
A judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. What does that tell us? Long before Jesus arrived on the scene as a human being, God had already planned to fulfill the promise of David and raise up a son of David like no other son who was not a sinner, who was holy and just and will live forever. Let's move along. Slide 28. We're almost done. I only have about 18 more pages. No, I'm kidding. Luke 1, 34 and 35. So Mary begins to respond. Mary responds to the angel. How can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel responds to her and says this. <clears throat> the Hagias Numa, the Holy Spirit, he's going to come upon you, Mary. The Dunamas, the power of the Most High, he's going to overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Study, 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 read, study your Bibles. Do not be misled by the false prophets out there. Study the scriptures yourself. Let's unpack this verse. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. That, that word come upon is the word ekame. It means to supervene or to go in a specific direction. To be followed by what? He's going to come upon, followed by what? The power of the Most High is going to overshadow. The piskiasmo has the idea of this bright, shining cloud. It's the same word used in the transfiguration of Matthew 17.5. So this cloud of glory, church, represents the power and presence of the most holy God. It's hard to imagine what this whole ordeal must have been like for Mary. I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to have the Holy Spirit come upon you like that and just overtake you like that. That's, it's amazing. So instead of the normal means of conception, church, the Holy Spirit overshadows her and she becomes pregnant with Jesus. Here then, I'm finishing up, is the greatest event in the history of mankind. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of the living God. That sonship is inseparable from the virgin birth. Don't let any false prophet tell you different. It's right there in the Word of God for you to look at every day if you need to. Where else do we see this talked about? Slide 29. Colossians 2.9. For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That word dwells there means a permanent settling down. You see, there's a man in heaven. Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father. The God-man. And in Him, all the fullness of deity permanently dwells in Him in bodily form. Jesus Christ can be called the Son of the Most High. Why? Because He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So here's the question. Do you and I have the same courage as Mary did when she responds to Gabriel and says this in slide 29? Let it be done according to your word. Are we able to get rid of a lot of pride and say, Lord, do what you need to do with me? Do we have that courage? Lord, I'm, I'm your doulos, your slave. Use me as you would. Can we say that? Do with me as you please. Can we do that with the Lord? Or do we still want our own way because we think we know better? 
Put me where you want me to be, not where I want to go. What do we get a picture of here? Here we get a picture of living faith, church. Think about it. Joseph and Mary listens to God. They chose to walk by faith, not by sight. They laid aside their emotions of shame and fear. And no matter what, they obeyed the Lord. They came to understand that God came to save his people. How do we apply this to ourselves this morning, today? How about we step, take a step back and listen to God instead of acting on impulse? Do not make decisions based on emotion. Submit the plans and emotions to Christ because our lives belong to him. He's the one to pay the price in full for you. We need to live and speak to others and let them know that Jesus Christ is the only Lord and Savior. There is no co-redeemer next to him. He is the Son of the Most High God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to finish up real quick with Luke 2. Just about done. Slide 30. Look at Luke 2, 1 through 5. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first sentence taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Wow, Syria. That's still around today, isn't it? And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. I want you to notice how simple the story begins, church. What do we see here? We see real poverty. Real poverty of circumstances of Christ's birth. This King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there was no grand ballroom. There was no rich royal dressing. There was no big feast. There was no big celebration. Just poverty. Didn't have a five-star hotel. He was in a manger in a feeding trough. So these events of the birth of Christ are presented to you and I simply and factually. We all know that Bethlehem is a real city and a very historic city. And we see Joseph and Mary going to Bethlehem to register for the census. Luke 31. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn Son, the prototokos. She wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. Notice the importance of what is said here. Firstborn means that no child has preceded Christ. She was clearly a virgin. She wraps the baby in clothes. And back then they didn't have pampers and all the things that we have today. She lays him in a manger. There's no room for him. You know, church... What happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem is still happening today. People refuse to make room for the Son of the living God. They give no place for Him in their hearts. They give no place for Jesus in their thoughts or views of life. No place for Jesus in their decisions or actions or daily conduct. Does this sound familiar today, church? There doesn't seem to be any difference in our world today or even in most churches. People today, even in most churches, have no room for Jesus in their lives. He stuck outside because there was no room for him in the end. He's stuck outside here today. Just give me my gifts, Lord. Let's have a party. Lord, the affections I feel 
or for my own pleasure. Lord, you know, I'm too busy with my own goals and agenda and dreams and personal satisfaction to make any room for you because I want to do things my way. So then, what gift will you give Christ? Listen, Jesus has no interest in what's under the tree. He's he's more interested in what's in your heart. The motive behind the gift that you and I give to Christ should be this. Lord, do with me as you please. And the last verses are this. Slide 32 and 33, and then we're done. The angel says to her, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for how many people? Oh, all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Look at the worship that happened and exploded in verse 13 and 14. Look at this. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So this morning, as I close, what's the news that you will bring to your unsaved loved ones on Christmas Day? Hey, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. What would be different if we gave them the true meaning of Christmas? Why do we celebrate it? It's not about shopping malls or online shopping, you know, the, heaven, the angels in heaven gave Jesus a wonderful birthday song. How about us? When we sang those songs today, were we going through the emotions or do we mean what we were singing? Did the songs have any impact on our hearts this morning when we were singing them? Could that be the song on your lips today and mine? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he's well pleased. So share this real Christmas gift with those whom you, the Lord has brought into your life. Let's give our hearts to him just like Mary and Joseph did. May we come to know that God is with us to bless us in every season of our lives. When we're distressed, troubled, instead of putting God on trial, why don't we turn to him for peace and comfort, not the trappings of the world. God with us in the person of Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. You basically had the birth of Christ unpacked for you in the scriptures. If you were, listen, if you were to drop dead today and you were ushered in front of God and God was to look you in the eye and say, why should I let you in heaven? Because here's one thing every human being knows. Someday you're going to drop dead. You are going to die a physical death. Unless the rapture comes, you are going to die. They're going to hit you with the paddles. There's no coming back. There's no what's behind door number two. There's no purgatory. There's nothing else. Someday we're going to die. And if everything in these scriptures is real and you don't have an intimate relationship with Christ, you're in trouble. The Bible says it's appointed once for a person to die and then a judgment. There's no second chance. Don't believe the lie. Sin generates consequences. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the deeds we did in the body, whether good or evil. It's right in the scriptures, church. So think about it. If you were to die today and stand before God, and he was to say to you, you know, why should I let you into heaven? I want you to think clearly about what that answer would be. Well, I was a good person. That ain't going to get you in heaven. 
Well, I did this, this, that, and the other. I tithe. That's not going to get you in heaven. I got baptized. That's not going to get you in heaven. The only thing that's going to get you in heaven is that you came and placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death on that cross, the crimson blood that was shed as a ransom and payment for your sin. That's the only thing that washes away sin. Good deeds don't wash them away. Being a good person is great, but it doesn't wash them away. So, coming to faith in Christ, that means you confess to him that you're a sinner and that you do bad things because every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us, me, you, we have all sinned. If I made an omelet with six eggs and one of them was foul and bad and I mixed it in with the other five, would you still eat the omelet? No. One sin is all needed to keep you out of heaven. God doesn't allow sin into heaven. So I want you to think clearly this morning. Your life depends on it. If you were to die today and stand before God and he was to ask you, why should I let you in heaven? Be honest. You know you're going to die someday. What's your answer, what's your answer going to be? Lord, I placed my faith and trust in you. I believe that you died on that cross and shed that crimson blood to pay my sin debt in full. So I'm placing my faith and trust in you because of your finished work on that cross that paid my sin debt in, my sin debt in full. Think about it. All the filth and all the bad things about you and I were placed on Jesus. And all the wonderful, great, wonderful things about him were credited to you and I. That's the only reason we can stand before him in glory in heaven. Because we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. He clothed us in that righteousness. It was his righteousness because we don't have a righteousness of our own. So I want you to be thinking about that today. Because God had a plan to save us with the birth of his son. He accomplished it. Look up and receive God's blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shake hands, meet and greet. In about 15 minutes, there's going to be buses out front or vans to take people to Hopewell Community Church for uh, 12 to 5 for their feeding. They're going to have all kinds of stuff going on there for, for anybody that wants to partake. They will bring you back here at 5. All right? Amen. amen. Shake hands.